mindfulness mode. You might feel like the world is crushing down on you. There's always a way out. Hey, Mindful Tribe, welcome back to the show. I have a guest with me who is a combat veteran who served 11 years in the U.S. Army. And man, does he have stories to tell. I'm telling you, and he has a fantastic book called Damn the Valley. And I think you're going to love it if you love reading this kind of thing because the stories just jump right off the page. I'm here today with William Yeski. Will, are you in mindfulness mode today? I am always in mindfulness mode. At least try to be. That's good. That's fantastic. What does <laughs> mindfulness mean to you, Will? To me? Oh, man. Like, I mean, if you're starting to lose it, you know, I mean, there's always that, you know, we were talking about, you know, the extreme instances like this to where you know, yeah. somebody's going to lose their head. Um, yeah. There's always those moments you got to stop, take a tactical pause, take that breath and realize what's going on around you. Not like a hesitation type thing. But a, what is happening around me and what am I doing and what's my response supposed to be? It might happen like that, but it's still being mindful, you know, and being in that situation. Have you always nailed it when it comes to telling stories? I mean, even as a kid, were you that kind of person that could tell a story, captivate no. an audience? Absolutely no? not. Matter of fact, recently... Um, I was finishing up with a, a class at Columbia Business School and I kind of got, they do this on purpose. They tossed this out there on the fly with this like five minutes prior and I had no time to rehearse and whatnot. And this has been a little bit after COVID, but really all those skills and stuff to tell stories and talk to people, I didn't realize a lot of them disappeared during COVID and I froze just right in the middle of everything in, this, in front of these people. And I'm like, eh. and it was just that moment of, hey man, you know, that uh, realization that some of that had, had left. And um, man, <laughs> what a lesson to learn. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Well, your book has been described as a riveting, unsparing, gritty, firsthand account of life in a great airborne unit. Well, what was that like when you first went over there and you were first exposed to this? What were some of your initial thoughts and impressions? I mean, really... The the beginning of Afghanistan, I mean, you got to have multiple kind of unlocks within this. I mean, the military culture was a, a complete different thing when I moved over yeah. to there. And you have to think, too, I was um, I was 26 at the time uh, when I went into the military. So you've already got a little bit of life behind you. And I've got a, yeah. you know, a 19 year old or 20 year old telling me, you know, yelling at me. Ah, you know, and I'm like. Oh my God, like what did I get myself into? <laughs> yeah, I bet you were thinking that. But, um, you know, you start to realize that that discipline they're instilling and that command structure and stuff, it's there for a reason. And But yeah. first thoughts getting over to Afghanistan and stuff and, and seeing how things were over there is it's almost, it was just weird because it was almost like being transported back to those biblical times um, where people are living in these, uh, you know, mud huts and villages off the side of the road that either look like a scene from Star Wars, you know, you got Tatooine, quite honestly. Um, yeah. Or what goes through your head is, you know, hey, this must have been what it's like during biblical times. And then you uh, sure. you notice the the Nikes and the, you know, digital watch. And you're like, oh, man, this is just weird. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's weird. Yeah. Well, you met with some of the toughest imaginable conditions. Describe them. What, what was that like? That environment. So 
a few different environments vested within that country. Like we started out in Helmand province and Helmand province is very much your traditional style desert. You can see for miles, it's flat. There's, um, you know, just that dusty desert arid, uh, you could, um, we, we had a thermometer at one point on a, on a watch and we were up in a turret of a Humvee and looked at it and you're like, you gotta be kidding me. You know, it's like 130 in this thing. You know, you're sitting in an easy bake oven and yeah. it's so dry that you start to notice the salt on your clothes and you realize that you're sweating, but the sweat is evaporating so fast that you don't even realize it. So you can dehydrate like that over there. So, I mean, adapting to those conditions, but then moving into the Argandab River Valley and that mm. brought us, you know, pomegranate orchards and grape fields and like they were irrigating crops with mud and you have mountains overlooking this thing. So, I mean, it was, it was wild. You know, you even had the wildlife was sort of, uh, at one point we had a bear tracking us uh, while we were out on a patrol, you know, and really? the, yeah, we had, so we had guys up on the mountain that they would provide an overwatch. So they would always uh, be trying to watch the patrol. And at night, when we would move at night is the easiest time because the air is cooler. And people yeah. don't realize either. It's 120 during the day, but it drops to 80 at night. And they're like, well, 80 is nice. Like, that's not bad. And you're like, no, no, no. It's a 40% temperature difference in a drop of a hat. And you feel like you're yeah. freezing to death at 80 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> well, that must be a weird feeling. It was wild. It was wild. But um, wow. yeah, so they would keep in contact and they called us up and they're like, hey, hold hold movement for a minute. And they saw this Afghan bear um, coming through and like tracking us. And we kind of spooked him off. But like just between that and mountain lions and uh, snakes yeah. and the critters and oh, stuff wow. it was it was just wild why wow, would that be a black bear um look up the afghan bear it's sort of like a legend thing but um oh i know it's like they don't really say it's sort of like uh snow leopards you know it's like we know they exist because oh. they see them when they're dead but they don't really they're sort of keep to themselves to where you don't really see these things they're strange looking but it does it looks a bit like a black bear so did you do any writing when you were over there? Did you do all the writing when you came back? I did everything when I got back. Yeah, I figured. Yeah. Yeah. That's something yeah. I literally, I'd never, this was something that one of the squad leaders actually had said, you know, he almost predicted this thing over there. And he was like, you know, in 10 years, we're going to see a book with Yeski's name on the cover. And I, I just dismissed him. I'm like, not a chance. Like, no way. That's not going to happen. I'm not that guy. And well... Here we go. <laughs> yeah, you're that guy. Apparently. Wow. Well, you might as well tell my listeners about Damn the Valley and what that really means. You told me when I read read the book, but tell tell us all. Well, so Damn the Valley was a phrase, and you're you see that come across. I've actually seen it with some of the writings with like Sebastian Younger and the Cornegal Valley and stuff. And it almost seems to be like a soldier's thing towards valleys, you know, it's <laughs> the low yeah. ground. Damn that valley. But um, but the Argandab, there's it wasn't just us that said damn the valley to the Argandab. The guys there before us, the guys there after us. And matter of fact, they recognized um some of them had popped up on social media and stuff from these others and been like, Hey, who are you? Like where I've noticed I know these regions, I know that mountain range. And they, you know, it's just burned into their memory. Um, but just the uh between the austere environment and how 
saturated the area was with IEDs and with enemy uh, activity, it's just wild. I mean, in a modern day deployment where you reach a 52% casualty rate, that's unheard of. I was just of. thinking that. Unheard I just of. read about that. Yeah. 52% casualty rate. I mean, that is just crazy. It's wild. It's wild. When you start oh to think gosh. about it, a normal infantry company at strength is somewhere around 200 men. And you just yeah. take that and you cut it in half and you say half of you aren't, you know, are coming back with purple hearts, you know, and obviously everybody's coming back affected in one way or another. Of course. Yeah. Wow. So how long were you over there altogether? So um, it was a year. So it was a year-long deployment. And that's normally what the conventional rotation is. Uh, I know sometimes they'll extend them to like 15 months. Um, and sometimes, you know, you get groups like the Rangers or Special Forces. They tend to run in three to six months. But um, we, I want to say the first five months was Hellmond and the rest of it was the Argandab. But really, Hellmond, Hellmond seemed like a typical deployment. You know, we had one firefight and then after that, they wouldn't touch us, you know, and crazy mm -hmm. enough, the neat part about the release of this book, the release date, October 31st, which was Halloween and people are a military book on Halloween, but it runs into the historical aspect that that's what our first firefight, our first combat experience was on, strangely enough, Halloween. Wow. Wow. That's weird. So when you first came back, what was the transition like? How long did it take you to feel like you could just be a human again? Really? And in writing this book, I kind of started to realize and started to slow myself down enough to realize I'd been kind of running from some of it. Because, I mean, there's chapters that I did that I, I mean, tears running down my face. Um, just with the... When you slow it down enough and you you start writing about these moments of trauma and a professional writer actually brought this out and they he uh after he reviewed it and looked at it he he contacted me he's like did you realize that in some of these moments here in these moments of trauma you switch from past tense to present and i hadn't even caught that and i wrote it really on how i was writing in conjunction with these other guys and it really brought me to the realization that you know with some of this stuff we're experiencing it and the, the effects of it day after day uh, not without even realizing it. Um, and I think that that has, you know, throughout time, I've kind of built these mindfulness practices in, you know, like breathing techniques and, to, uh, yeah. you know, the Wim Hof methods. I know Wim Hof is the one that popularized yes. it and stuff, but raising those cortisol levels and getting yourself yeah. to realize that how much of a hypervigilance level you might be at and just wound so tight. Um, and that's what a lot of those guys get. That's what a lot of them that were over in the Argandab had. And I think that that's a lot of reason why I've been able to do so much, um, is sort of use that. But at the same time, like you got to realize that, you know, use it, but be very careful. Um, you know, really in, in, in this, I'm starting to tackle, you know, some more stuff, getting deeper into it. I already kind of had a little bit of a handle on it, but it's realizing that, you know, maybe not, maybe not. So it's a, it's a process. Yeah. It's a constant process. Right. So when did you decide to enroll to into Columbia business school and why? Well, so I did Towson. I did marketing over at Towson university. 
And that happened, I finished out business school, you know, for my undergrad within two and a half years over there. It would have been two. We had a throwaway semester due to calculus. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, it wasn't even that. Um, some crazy stuff happened to where they switched it up. And at the end of the semester, instead of the professor that had been teaching us the whole thing, uh, giving the final, they gave a standardized final from, you know, the powers that be up top. And it was just, it was worded totally different and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I failed. Um, and, but I contested yeah. it and I ended up retaking the test and passing it. But at that point there was too many, um, I guess it was too late within there and they had already, the cutoff had already happened. It was all due to the professor not being around to do it. You know, it wasn't at any yeah. fault of my own. But the nice part is I was able to take some journalism classes that, uh, you know, it, was, it wasn't completely a throwaway semester. But the evolution into Columbia um, was just realizing that a lot of the vets out there, uh, a lot of them kind of marginalize themselves. They are like, hey, you know, I've, I'm out of the system. It'd be too weird for me to go back to school and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And I kind of decided that like, if I'm, if I'm going back to school and if I'm doing this stuff and if I want to show the other guys and create these frameworks or paths and show them that this stuff can be done, shoot for the, shoot for the moon, you know, go as far as Good you can go. You. Yeah, absolutely. And didn't you start a marketing company? I did. I did. And that was, that was post undergrad. I was, um, you know, going to go into the corporate marketing world and yeah. I'd actually done some, some interviews with some pretty big names and then COVID shutdown happened. And right. hiring freeze, a lot of corporate shutdown. Every marketing is the first budget to go. And I kind of was like, how do I pivot? Um, with the wife being a nurse too, you know, and she's right. she's go, go, go. And she had just finished up school as well. Um, and we've got two small children. And it okay. was, you know, it, it just kind of turned into a how do you adapt? How do you adapt to survive? Um, but it was mm -hmm. one of the best and most rewarding things that I've done. Oh, cool. That's interesting. Well, tell me more about the company and what kind of things you did. Yeah. So a lot of it had to do with uh, dealing with small business and giving them that footprint that big business did. You know, a lot of the mom and pop shops and stuff, they weren't, they didn't have a presence on like Google Maps. You know, some of them weren't even on there yeah. at all. They weren't even registered. I'm like, right. everyone that goes anywhere, like that's, and these suggestions and stuff and writing some just very simple ad copy with a very low budget in a small business capacity could give you so much. And it was showing them like these techniques and giving them that value. And then watching these businesses either survive or even thrive through COVID and getting that, really that, that purpose instilled in you, uh, which is the same thing. Anything, anybody that has served within the military capacity has that purpose instilled with them to want to help other people and to give back right. to society. And right. yeah, and your wife is a U.S. military veteran as well, right? Yes, she was. Uh, she was Air Force. I know. Go figure that one. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. That's interesting. Well, yeah. uh, you know, Fort Bragg's a different beast. So, and I think it's it's Fort Liberty now, but um, off in the little corner there, there was a. So Fort Bragg is the home of the 82nd Airborne Special Operations, and all of us need to jump out of planes. So, who gives us a ride to the drop zone in the Air Force? So they have this uh, Pope Air Force or Pope. Now it's a Pope Army Airfield, but it used to be Pope Air Force Base. And okay. that's where she was stationed with one of the units over there. And, uh, you know, one thing led to another. And here we are eight years later. 
That's cool. That's really cool. So what have your kids taught you about mindfulness? Everything. I learn so much from those little guys. They are, they're amazing. I mean, and just seeing like, sometimes like stopping and like, you stop yourself from that adult end of things and be like, well, what would you do? Or they pick up on things that you just don't, that you kind of really like you lose touch of because you're an adult at that point and seeing the wonder sometimes in their faces it's pretty neat wow that's pretty cool. neat that is very neat i always ask a question about bullying do you have a story about bullying where maybe mindfulness would have made a difference mm, bullying you know and i'm trying to think i mean i know i tried to talk to my kids about it and that the nice thing for them anyway is their mom is also six foot tall. So okay. my my daughter is a be like my kids both. I mean both of them are like head and shoulders. They're usually uh you know an actual head taller than everyone else in their class. Right, sure. Yeah. You know, but I tried to instill in them that like you are probably stronger than most of the kids around you and it's your duty yeah. to be a protector for them and stuff Uh, and give them instill in that you know as opposed to using that strength for bad use that strength for good and police up your buddies and my my daughter is such a little mother hen and oh yeah oh she's the best she's so cool yeah yeah oh that's neat that's very cool so you wrote this book what has been some of the feedback that you've received from this book because i mean wow it you it just feels like you've left nothing out like you've just really you've really uh, opened up and shared and been completely forthcoming with this book damn the valley and i know your website is damnthevalleybook.com what kind of feedback have you received so really the most valuable feed. I've gotten some great feedback. Um, but the most valuable feedback to me is when, you know, one of the guys reaches out, you know, or I'll see, I'll notice who it is up on Goodreads, um, or Amazon. And those are the ones that I wrote it for. And when they come back and they say like, thank you for pouring this out on the pages or, Hey, somebody had to say it or, um, you know, just when I hear that type of stuff from them, or another service member comes out and says something about it. That's what this is all about. It's about them and really without them as well. I mean, this book wouldn't be without them. I mean, there's a, there's an insert in the middle with 30 pictures. And when the publisher gave me the deal, they asked, you know, Hey, we want to do something with a picture insert in the middle. Can you give us 30 pictures? And I had maybe five, you know, up on Facebook that were terrible quality, but I said, yes. You know, I was just like, absolutely, yeah. I got you. Um, sure. Of course, and then after the deal comes back, I frantically contacted everybody and was like, help. <laughs> but yeah. from there, it, it's led to, I mean, we've been putting out social media daily for almost a year now, since February. And that's all been yeah. the guys. Every single bit of it has been the guys putting their their end out and seeing that, hey, he's writing this thing and I'm going to, you know, they've helped out through, uh, they've all been through this. They've read it. Um, I've bounced it back and forth. Like some situations we, uh, talked uh, to as many as three to five different guys involved in each situation to make sure that we had the correct picture on it. And that's why it's been put through the DOD process and entered into the library of Congress is, I mean, 
this thing, I dialed it down to the point of where it's the most accurate um, historical record of this that you can get, but it's not something that's boring to read. You know, normally in these Definitely type of not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely not that, Will. <laughs> normally in these type of books, you'll get it from a general officer that they had that overview, yeah. you know, and these stories yeah. come up to them and they're interesting, but it's usually kind of dry. And yeah, yeah. this is that you flip this around. This is from the ground up and it's just a, a different type of experience. It's been received very well. Um, yeah. But. So you had so much serious heavy duty stuff in there, but let's talk about the lighter stuff. Absolutely. Share with us something, something that's kind of lighter and funny. Yeah, absolutely. So there was uh there was one instance to where, and I mean, you have, you have life to such extremes on the battlefield. You might be going through, um, you know, something just either a terrible traumatic incidence or even just being worn down. You know, these things happen um, to where you're, uh, your happiness in, in the day might possibly just be a cold drink of something. And, um, this one particular instance, we had a Lieutenant, Lieutenant Demarest who he, through stress, he was, uh, munching on candy, like all the time, always had, always had something like, uh, I mean, this silly stuff, like a lollipop or, you know, lozenge or some, just something. It drove this one squad leader crazy. Sort of small wood. Mm -hmm. And he made a bet with him, you know, he's like, if I'll, I'll read, I think it had to do something with a religious factor. I mean, this, uh, LT had gone through seminary school and whatnot. Okay. He's just a good guy. He really cared for the guys, but this Sergeant kind of played on it. And he was like, if you can stay off sweets for a week or a month, I can't remember what, I think it was a week, but, um, you know, the bet was on and, uh, one night he kind of gave in, you know, he had, uh, another Sergeant come into the talk. Uh, by the name of Jason Spotted Horse, and he he handed him off two two cups of, of ice cream. We had just gotten an, an ice cream cooler in. It was like the last month. We had lived in terrible conditions, and the CBs showed up, and they kind of gave us all this stuff. And it was to us, it was Shangri La at the very. We were like, oh my gosh, this is great. You know, at one point we didn't shower for three months. I mean, oh wow. When the smell gets, you know, it gets bad, but then it goes away. So, you know, something's up, but then it starts coming back again. You're like, there's some serious funk going on here. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, wow. But these, uh, this ice cream and, you know, it's just something that I could picture it in my head, uh, this particular, um, this particular sergeant. And he, he hands off this ice cream and he's like, I won't tell nobody. And it's the middle of the night. Nobody's going to know about it. And uh, Lieutenant Demarest, he, he's, you know, he looks around and scoops it up and stuff. And he finishes the mission planning for the next day. And the mission the next day, we didn't have anybody, you know, we didn't hit an ID or anything, but it was like everything went wrong. You know, one thing after another, after another. Okay. And the CO met us out there, you know, um, at one point. And, you know, he got in them. Uh, on about some of this stuff, and it was just an overall terrible day. And as we're coming back in from this patrol, there's Sergeant Smallwood and our platoon sergeant Sergeant Hill with the two cups of ice cream, and he had forgotten to throw them out, and he stashed them underneath his cot. And they're like, "We, oh. we got you, sir," you know. And it was <laughs> just that full culmination, um, you know. And he had thought he had lost his wallet on this patrol 
And I mean, okay. losing your wallet, I kiss it goodbye, but all his IDs in there, the enemies out yeah. there and everything. And he didn't realize he had just put it in a different pocket. Oh. And here he is, you know, after being berated for this and after, you know, a day of <laughs> all of this going on, it was almost like karma was just telling, I told you so. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny <laughs> it was good uh, thanks for telling that story Will as we move forward in the interview toward the end I want to ask you five quick answer questions so just 30 second answers are perfect first one is this who is one person who has been a powerful mindfulness influence in your life Ooh, powerful mindfulness um mm, man I know this is going to sound weird but Andy Frazella um MF CEO okay. project. And like, that was one of the podcasts I was listening to on the way to college. So our commute, and it just kind of gave me this strange resonated. Um, well, he has that a lot of people listen to him and a lot of people are inspired by him. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. My next question is about emotions and how mindfulness has helped you to deal with your emotions. Okay anger yeah definitely mm. those anger spike moments and realizing you know to do that breath work and realizing what's going on hey you're losing it you're losing it and you're losing your self-control of the situation um take that breath you know back up look at the picture what's actually going on yeah well let's just talk about breathing for a second more Absolutely. do you have any thoughts about breathing as it relates to mindfulness uh, yeah. I mean, man, I have the whole book by James Nestor. Um, breathe. Yeah. Excellent. I couldn't believe Like when I was reading through that phenomenal book, like with just the different techniques and stuff. But, um, there's also, uh, I can't remember the, the name of the app, but there's so many things out there these days with, yeah, there are, but like that prana. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think it actually might just be called prana. It's possible. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, well, you've mentioned a couple of things. Like I was going to ask you about a book, and you mentioned Breathe by James Nestor. Are there any other books that you want to mention? Oh, I mean, well, uh, man, you've got the book that's really, quite honestly, the other picture of the battlefield from this. you got Bravo Company from Ben, ben Kessling. Um, I mean, right. I, I show up in it, but, um, I mean, just another book to get another the picture of what's going on out there. Yeah. That's another great book. You yeah, know, I'm and I'm looking. Sure. You know, there's, I've got a, I've got a whole bookshelf. You know, um, yeah. I've always yeah. been a reader. It was sort of my escape as mm -hmm. a child. So, yeah. So when you're e reading yeah. Ender's Game at ten years old, <laughs> or some Scott Card, yeah. and it's huge. And back then, did you ever think that you might be writing a book yourself someday? You know, my my focus as a kid, I didn't really think about it too much. But my focus as a kid was to find the Titanic. Crazy enough. Ah. I know. Wild. You know, most kids, uh, I want to be a firefighter, a policeman. I was like, no, I, I want to find the Titanic. And I had charts and books and everything. And then that oceanographer, Robert Ballard, he crushed my dream. No, <laughs> no. <Yeah. laughs> well, that was a big deal when he found it. It was, sure. it was huge. I mean, it was amazing. But uh, you know, at the same time, I was like, well, I got to figure something else out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now I got to move on. Right. Well, you figured some stuff out. All right. That's for sure. Well, it's sure been awesome to talk to you and talk to you about your fantastic book. I mean, 
That book is just amazing. Damn the Valley. So Mindful Tribe, check it out if you're into this kind of stuff. It's very, very easy to read and and hard to put down. Let me put it that way. So any final words of advice, Will, before we wrap up the interview? Um, Yeah. So for people that have either, you know, been to combat or, you know, another you know, fellow soldiers out there, people that have... Uh, veterans in their life and stuff to pass this this along and that's nothing's ever as bad as it seems you might feel like the world is crushing down on you but there's always a way out you know even you know that translates from a situation on the battlefield but within your own day-to-day life uh it's never too overwhelming you can always reach out and remember to take that tactical pause it's going to be okay um you just might not see it right then I've had plenty of those moments myself. Yeah. Well, thanks for that. And thanks for being on mindfulness mode, Will. Thanks for having me, Bruce. It's been great. You're welcome. Yeah. Bye now. Hey, Mindful Tribe, thanks for listening today to the Mindfulness Mode podcast. Hey, would you do me a favor? Would you go over to Apple and would you leave a comment? Would you subscribe, leave a comment and uh, just leave a review for the podcast? That would help me so much. All of those reviews really help to boost how many people hear the podcast and how many people benefit from the podcast. So if you would do that, I would be so grateful. And with that, take what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.